You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Stories That Sell podcast. I am your host, Scott Ramage. Today, I have a, uh, a great man who I've gotten to know a little bit better, Mark Fisher. He is the co-founder of Business for Unicorns. Uh, BFU offers coaching and courses to help great humans become successful training gym operators. Uh, Mark is also the co-founder of uh, the wildly eccentric Mark Fisher Fitness, and that's in New York City. He's also excellent at playing with puppies. I love this. Uh, though today he has not figured out how to get paid for that skill set. But before we get on to Mark, which I'm sure you're ready to hear now after hearing that intro, uh, I do need to tell you about VAs for Gyms. Uh, imagine having a team of virtual professionals helping you get massive amounts of work done from editing videos, creating social media, managing your social media, creating content, you know, just all of those things. Uh, VAs for Gyms is here to make sure your productivity skyrockets while performing tasks and roles you simply don't want to do, don't want your team to do, or just don't have the skill set to have done for you. Uh, VAs for Gyms offers a wide range of services that will help you run your business and save money. Check them out at VAsforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-G-Y-M-S.com. Almost missed it there. Welcome to the show, Mark. I'm uh, looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, playing with puppies. Oh, yeah. You like puppies. Does it, doesn't everybody like puppies? I, you know, everybody does. Uh, that's true. Uh, I, I also have to concede, I don't know that anybody has actually made an income from it. But, you know, with the mind can conceive, it's not impossible. But I must confess, uh, so far, I, I, it's not inaccurate to say I am a failed professional puppy player. <laughs> well, I guess you're, you know, you're only failed if you stop trying, right, Scott? That's right. That's right. Well, a common theme on this podcast, when I talk to people about success in business, this is like work through the failures. So you haven't given up, yeah, you haven't yeah. given up, you haven't failed yet, but failure is usually the pathway a lot of us tend to take to figuring things out. Um, so, Hey, we want to start with really kind of getting to know Mark Fisher, you know, like what's your story? I mean, you have this business for unicorns, which is obviously for business studio owners, like gym owners, um, specifically, yeah. probably more in the studio range. I don't know. You'll, you can talk about yeah. that later, as well as you have Mark Fisher Fitness. Um, and I believe that's a multi. Is that a multi gym facility or is there more? Is there one? It's currently one location, but strangely, due to our current moment, we're all sharing. It's actually largely virtual. So even yeah. though New York has been open now more than half of our revenues are still coming from people doing fitness online. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to pivot so we can always talk about the whole yes, being yes. able to pivot as a business and that's in the hell, hell's kitchen area. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. Right. right. Mid my hand. Obviously uh, online's all over, but yes. Uh, yes. All right. So let's, 
I'm just going to open the floor to you to, to tell your story about like whether it's Mark Fisher Fitness or Business for Unicorns mm-hmm. and all of that and really kind of how this all came about and uh, whatever you want to share, we would love to hear. Yeah, well, they all start in the same place, which is the Southern Jersey Shore, which is where I grew up. So I grew up in a very big family and I had a lot of older brothers and I had a father that were really into sports and growing up I struggled to really get into sports because I know and this is interesting because a lot of people in the fitness industry I understand maybe did sports do they like sports because it's you're sort of two archetypes like I was the athlete that wanted to stay with gym sports where you had archetype two of which I am one which was, I was very skinny. And then I read about that Atlas guy again, the sand kissing his face. And I hope one day a girl might kiss me. So <laughs> I definitely was in the latter category. Um, but I think a little bit more color commentary on that. I think part of what to this day makes this journey so strange for me is that for me, sports at that time in my life, anything physical, frankly, anything athletic represented my brothers and my father, like yelling at the TV. They were very into sports, right? And this time in my life, basically sports is the thing that prevented me from watching my cartoons and I attempted to play sports but I was the kid in the neighborhood I don't know if you had this kid in the neighborhood if I ran around too much I didn't sweat so there was a weird thing about me I didn't sweat I would just get like bright red in the face like a cherry tomato and then have to go lie down by my mom like (laughs) I was like that kid I was that kid in the neighborhood and you know, of course, when you're that kid, you do theater because it's like the opposite of sports. So the opposite of sports where I went and it was the theater. And I loved the theater so much because the thing that's kind of sad in some ways, it's worked out since then. But frankly, I was a challenged kid. I was kind of a little struggle bus. And the thing, frankly, that drew me to the theater was it was an opportunity to pretend I was somebody other than myself. And I had this desire for consequence. I had this desire to be Han Solo or G.I. Joe or He-Man, to be someone whose life had consequence. And the mm-hmm. theater allowed me to escape the, the veil of my own life and pretend I was someone else. Now, the thing about the theater that ultimately become, I think, very important for everything that happened after, it was, I think it was my first experience of being in a community where I found other people that liked the things that I liked and they shared my values and they knew who I was and they still liked me. And that was very, very, very powerful because that didn't really happen until I was well into middle school. So it was a little bit late to find that because previously the people I attempted to hang out with were more into trucks and dirt and other things. I just was not as authentically inspired to spend my time considering. So so I find my theater people and I'm loving it. And the challenge is as high school progresses, I become more and more aware if I want to be a professional actor, it's going to be hard to do it if I'm a buck 35 soaking wet. And as I mentioned before, I'm desperately hoping that one day I can convince a girl to kiss me. So I decided I'm going to start working out. And that was very scary for me. I remember I remember that experience because as happens, when things are very emotionally heightened, there's a lot of emotional valence. You remember them, right? And I often, if I find myself wanting to really get in the mindset of our clients and Mark Fisher Fitness before they start with us, we have something, we have a program called Snatched in six weeks, right? Which is like snatched, like hunty, like get ripped, get jacked. Yeah. And we do the Snatched foreplay workshop, right? Because MFF is, I'll tell you more in a moment, it's a very colorful brand, right? So if I want to get their mindset, I do, there's actually an acting ec- uh, exercise to sort of get myself in the mindset. And I think about the smell 
of my grandfather's, my, my grandfather's hand-me-down cougar because it smelled like my mom's cigarettes. And I would just get in the car and I would sweat and I would listen to like, I crank up late nineties alt rock. Cause like, I'm ready to go. I'm going to go to the I gym. Don't. I'm going to find the dragons. And then I enter this large and cavernous space, the Stafford pool and fitness in Manahawkin, New Jersey. And it smelled like chlorine because there was a big pool and it was very humid. And there were all these large men, large men wearing jeans and flannels because that's how we do New Jersey. And they're lifting all the weights. And they're these large dinosaur-like men that I'm afraid are going to eat me. And it was not an auspicious beginning to my career, but I very much really, really, really wanted a girl to kiss me at some point. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this anyway. And I brought in one of my best friends still to this day who was a theater kid, but did football team, like showed me how to do the machines. I learned how to do the peck fly. And, and it was not a fun experience at first. And it was, it, it was an opportunity for me to really lean into my discomfort. But the reality was it was one of those things where it's so cliche, but the pain of staying the same was greater than the pain of change. It's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Right. So of course I put on like, you know, five pounds, which when you're like a buck 35, that's epic. And yeah. sure enough, I think Ashley Austin asked, she was like, Oh, have you been working out when I was like my improv class in high school? So like, Oh, <laughs> this is it. Right. And I had that moment that I think a lot of people get into fitness experience. And of course that is obviously not necessarily a helpful rabbit hole to be in extrinsically motivated by other people that can be a little bit of a trap, but sure can add some gas on a young man looking at the oh, inspired yeah. workout. So, so I'm in now I'm like, Oh yes, this is great. I'm going to one day I'm going to weigh 143. So, and for, <laughs> for listeners, I'm 510. That's very thin, right? So looking yeah. to put some mass on my the, the rib cage to this day, sadly, I have the rib cage of an eight-year-old girl. But, but at any rate, over the years, I've managed to put on a little bit of beef, right? And the thing was very interesting is I go to school for musical theater, Syracuse University. I moved to New York. And then when I get to New York, it sucks. It sucks because I'm trying to be an actor and I can't, I can't control getting jobs most of the time. And I'm, I'm serving hot dogs in a blanket to the masters of the universe at Citigroup who are looking like I'm like a idiot and I'm even a person to them. Girls are still pretty intimidating to me at this point in my life. And the only thing that brought me solace at this time in my life, and sure, I had friends too. I shouldn't say it's the only thing that's overselling it, but the gym became the one thing I could count on because no matter how messed up my life was, I had the gym. I could just do this one thing and I knew it was good for me and I knew it would do good things for my self-esteem and for my body. And and really brings to mind uh, there's this awesome article that maybe some listeners have heard, maybe or maybe you've read Scott. Uh, Henry Rollins about the, I was going to call it the iron and soul. Yep. And that article, like that was the thing I was like, man, there's one thing in my life. I can't count on anything. Life is a tsunami of chaos and unfairness, but 135 pounds or 135 pounds. So the weird thing for me, even at that moment was like, wow, this was the thing. This was the place where I would go to most exquisitely not belong and feel every insecurity I had about myself was now in my church. This was my sanctuary, right? So so flash forward throughout my twenties, I keep working out. I get really into it. I'm reading every, every magazine. I read like, like not just muscular muscle and fitness and flex. I'm reading like muscular development, iron man, muscle mag reps, like all the weird Robert Kennedy ones. Like I'm, I'm in, right. And I'm very enthusiastic. So of course I'm telling all my friends about it, which are Broadway performers. So I developed this really awesome life where like I'm working as an actor pretty consistently and I'm making good money, personal training. My friends that were musical theater performers wow. in New York city. Talk about Super a niche. Cool. Holy cow. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Yeah. And it was mostly just cause like, they're my friends. Right. You know? So 
then as things happen, right, I reach a big birthday, turn 30. I also do my first national commercial. So Scott, I don't, do you know how much money you make when you do a national commercial? I bet it's huge. <laughs> it's a lot. Well, particularly at that point in my life, it was, I mean, I think off, I did an all state commercial. If you ever see the Mr. Mayhem commercials, right? I did one of those. Wow. And I literally, I just like get in an accident. You can find it on YouTube. It's like the commercial that paid for the clubhouse. Cause I made, I mean, that first year I probably made like 35 grand and then I probably made 20 grand like over the next like five to seven years. And this is, I mean, that's real residual income. That's not like entrepreneurial yeah. passive income. It's like, I did one day, that's I crazy. did one take and they're like, here's 65 grand. Not bad. Um, <laughs> that's a good day's work. Not bad, not bad. You know, it's funny. I have to say, as I get a little bit older, I hope this doesn't come across shady as listeners. I'm like, that's still good. Uh, it doesn't feel maybe as unprecedented. At that time, I was like, what? That's, a, um, that's an entrepreneurial view. It's not a- Yeah, not yeah, yeah. That's not a normal view. That's not a normal view. But, but at that time, you know, particularly because obviously that, that wasn't revenue. I mean, that was like my, that was my pay. That was where I was going into my bank account, right? So at that point, I'm like, all right, well, this is, I want to be a TV film actor, okay? I don't want to be a theater actor. That sucks. Theater acting sucks. I don't want to go do Cats in Akron, Ohio anymore. Like I want to, I'm a TV film actor. So while I'm here, I'm going to put a little effort into my business. And I had been- in addition to a serious student of the strength conditioning, um, quote unquote, prehab, functional fitness world, I also was following tons of online fitness people. So I, I, I think I was starting to intuit things like brand and copywriting and making offers and a lot of things that I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was following everybody's thing, right? I'm reading everyone's blog and subscribe to everyone's email list. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to start like a newsletter for my pals and I want to give them something like irreverent, right? And I remember talking with uh, friends of mine that did the first photo shoots for MFF, which were super weird. I was like, I want a picture of me like, like an old school carnival barker. And I'm, I'm coaching up a strong man. And then I want a picture of me. We only oil me up. Like I'm in fight club with bad Brad Pitt and we'll just do recreations, but I'm fighting a Twinkie. And then like, and now we'll do something like the Twinkie's mad at me. And I'm like holding the Twinkie and the Twinkie and I are like reconciling. Right. <laughs> so just like weird stuff. And I was like, I think it's like my, I was like, my theme is ridiculous humans, serious fitness. Cause oh, I'm like a serious, like functional fitness nerd. And also, you know, you get the guys like, those are like my people, my people are going to get this. My people don't follow, you know, they're not going to be excited to watch like great cook talk about the functional movement screen. They're not interested in Mike Boyle talking about, you know, power development. Like they don't care. So right. I was like, can I give them good stuff in the chocolate sauce of madness? And that's where things really escalate. So to sort of bring us kind of to present day and kind of speed up our story here, I started offering this program I mentioned, Snack in Six Weeks. And this brand kind of sort of codifying around my speaking in tongues eccentricities, right? And my business partner, who was my best friend from my high school community theater group, is watching me from Philadelphia where he has another job. And he starts coming into the city because I'm training his friends. And he's like, this is like a thing. So he comes and starts taking notes in classes. And we start doing like, business meetings. I was like, meanwhile, again, I'm like mostly acting like business meetings. What the, what are we doing here? Right. So of course, at this point I had started my practice the previous summer. Uh, I want to, I read that some mentor was like reading a book on training and a book on business per week. And I was like, Oh, I'll do that. Cause I'll learn about training and I'll learn about business for my acting career. Hilariously, which in theory it could have, but of course it starts planting all these seeds in my head, Scott, all these seeds in my head. And I'm reading like and it's funny because at that time in my life, I was like, I don't want a real business. I don't want to deal with a real estate or a staff, but also I'm reading like good to great. Like, so clearly something, there was some yeah. disconnect there about what I saw things going. 
So Michael, my business partner, maliciously manipulates me over many months into like starting a real business. And we're like, all right, we'll do it. And within, you know, like within like six weeks, we were like, all right, uh, you know what? I found a lease. All right, let's sign a lease. All right, you know what? Uh, I hired a trainer. All right, you know what, Keeler? Uh, quit your job in Philadelphia. All right, you know what, Keeler? Move to New York City with all your furniture from your home and we're going to move it right into the gym. And then that's how Mark Fisher Fitness was born. So Mark Fisher Fitness, for people that don't know, is a very eccentric place. So we don't call our clients members. We call them ninjas. We don't call it a gym. It's the enchanted ninja clubhouse of glory and dreams. And our, our mascot is the unicorn. And the, the brand aesthetic is sort of like four-year-old on acid, like finger painting, right? And what I wanted to do is I wanted to make a thing for my friends. I wanted to make like a love letter to my friends, which were people that they were the theater kids, but they were also like the stoners and like the, the skateboard punks and the band kids and the kids who were sexually active too late and sexually active too early, right? Those were like my people, right? And because of that, I think Mark Fisher Fitness has had a lot of success because it was a very clear person, very clear avatar we were talking to. I think it helps that we know what we're doing, right? I think the serious fitness piece at a glance could be really be underappreciated. I don't think that's why they, they come, frankly. Like, I don't think people are like, usually that's really why they come. I think it helps them stay because they get results because we're able to progress them over time. They're able to see some gamification because I think being a good trainer is often underappreciated. That, that is a valuable, I think, for long-term engagement. Um, and that's kind of it. And then it's been sort of a rocket ride. We grew very, very quickly. We were like on the Inc. 500. It was one of the fastest growing companies in America on year four. Wow. Uh, we were like in men's health. We were like in all the national and local press, both for the business publications and for the fitness industry. And then I started speaking and traveling. And that's how Business for Unicorns was born, which is like MFF spunky kid sister. Uh, it's, it's a little less Looney Tune over the top because the avatar is different. So here's what's hilarious, Scott, because the avatar, I've thought about this and I was like, wow, this is like so weird. The avatar of Mark Fisher Fitness is almost, this is so full circle. And then we'll go to any questions you have. It's like almost the guys that gave me a hard time in high school oh, that made really? me feel shitty about myself that then they became gym owners. And now it's like, there's this weird healing thing where 20 years later, cause I'll have them hang out and like, not, I don't say all my clients cry, but they can like this moment where they're crying because their life is not working and their relationships are not working. Their business is not working. And there's something about that that is also very healing to me. That now it's like the, the, the people that made me feel shittiest about myself. I've now come to understand their soft underbelly and their vulnerabilities. And that has been uh, as unusual and bizarre to me as the fact that if you'd have told a 16 year old Mark that I was going to own a gym one day, um, the whole, the whole thing just keeps being confusing and surprising. And, and at this point, you know, I'm doing my best to just ride the wave. So, so there's my story. There's my story. Perfect segue into some of the things I wanted to comment about and question. And sometimes I'm just going to comment without a question because I just great, want to make great. some observations. <laughs> Number one, like how freaking amazing is it that a kid that had a hard time putting on weight and isn't your, your typical gym owner is now, you know, Forbes and, and, you know, and New York Post, Huffington Post. I mean, like for me, has the kid, I owned a gym as well. I sold it, but I was never that guy. I was never the, the fitness, the big buff dude. That was not my thing. And my first thought was when I got into CrossFit was we have that gym 
in town. We have that gym <laughs> where they'll, if you're fat, they'll tell you you're fat and go wait, lose weight and come back. Right. And, and they knew their avatar. They weren't very nice about it, but they knew it. Yeah. And my whole purpose starting that was for CrossFit for the everyday person. And we, we served, you know, very, very morbidly obese people and changed lives and just the average folk. But I just like the story of the skinny kid, if you'll allow me, like just yeah. the small skinny kid going and finding his place. And then not only that, taking uh, what you would say is an eccentric like approach and, and just living with who you truly are. I am this crazy wild guy. I, I have all of these things. I love talking about ninjas and unicorns and, you know, um, I, it's just, it just oozes the story of define a niche, like niche down, niche down, niche down and serve. And, um, and the, that wild success is 100% a part of that. And I just, I don't know that there's a question wrapped in this. I just kind of wanted to reflect on like the, the power of that story for people who feel like they haven't been a major part of something growing up or they didn't fit the mold. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so true. Right. And, and, you know, I think we all know this intuitively and it's so much easier to say on the other side of the course. Cause it's like, you know, in my twenties, I don't know that any of this was apparent, frankly, and my twenties, I don't know anyone would say I was unhappy and I was doing a lot of good work on myself because the other thing I didn't mention that I think has been a big piece of everything is my main interests have been probably moral and social philosophy and psychology. Interesting. Right. And ostensibly all of the businesses are an opportunity to test a hypothesis of how humans can be with each other in the world. And ideally to be a sharpening saw for our humanity. Right. Now that's like hard to, that's not probably the easiest thing to sell. Usually like maybe some people are like, I always like joke. It's like, come for the six pack of abs and stay to cope with the anxieties of modernity, right? <laughs> you and everyone you know will die. Let's, let's be present with this together. So the thing about it is I, I would say is like, yeah, like it was, you know, I wanted to do something like that, but gosh, it's, and it's, it's easier to feel the way on the other side. Not that I feel by any means like, oh, I've made it. I just have different sets of problems now, right? I have all sorts of different Absolutely. things that are stressing me out and yeah. different like real fears I'm, I'm going through right now, but like, oh guy, what's the next act for me? What do I do? Like, do I want to scale Mark Fisher fitness? Do I want to just do more of the consulting thing? Do I want to do like another thing? If I do another thing, what obligation do I have to my team? So yeah, it's, it feels very good that, uh, you know, and I feel lucky that I was able to sort of get through that because the other advantage that I think I was lucky is I started Mark Fisher fitness really when I was 31. And I feel like, at least for me, people develop at different ages. That was the perfect age where I was young enough, but I was old enough because I wouldn't say I had given up, but I was 31. I'd taken a vow of poverty. I was just accepted. Like I'm never going to make more than $30,000 a year. And I don't care because I don't, I think money is stupid. And like, you know, I'm like most like Zennials, right? I was like, I don't believe in business. I don't believe in the man. I grew up with Enron and all these things. Like I'm an artist. I'm a leftist. I'm like, I'm going to burn. Like, this is all so F this entire approach to our world. Um, so the view that, you know, I approached business with was a desire to be human, but also a willingness to fail. Cause it's like, well, like I'm never, I wouldn't say like, I thought of myself as a failure. I was like, what do I have to lose? It doesn't matter. I don't have any money, like whatever. I'll put 40 grand in this and I'll be back to it's fine. I'll keep living check to check. And like, who cares now, you know, and admittedly that's, I think, uh, 
you know, someone process at this point in my life too, because it is, it is fair. And something I'm, I'm working on this moment in real time. I was like, gosh, like I, you know, I, I got some stuff now. Right. <laughs> like I, and I also have cool opportunities. Cause now I also have like, you know, certain skills, certain, you know, assets of network assets of finances, and that creates other opportunities for it. But the reality is like, yeah, like in some ways, I don't, I don't think I am as risk tolerant as I won then because like, you know, I've also also got a wife now and I got a mortgage and I have a team and I have other people to count on me. So it's not even just like if I mess up my own life. So anyway, more, more contributions to our shared pool of meeting. Yeah. Well, and it just, it's, there's just so much to unwrap here and I'm not going to be able to do it all because your story is just absolutely fascinating to me because I, there's so many connection points between like experiences I've had, experiences I've watched other people have who I grew up with and watching the ones that were at the top of their game in in the day are typically the ones who are wishing all the others, they had what all the others had, right? Like right. I, it's just such a, a weird thing. And I don't think that works. Like that's that's not the formula. Right, right, right. But, you want to be successful, just suffer in high school, then you'll be better. Yeah, yeah. but But- you said a few things like the suffering and the willingness to fail because it really, it, it wasn't bringing you any lower <laughs> really is what you're saying is, is actually probably a really great equation to, to, to uh, success monetarily in business. You, you got to go out, you got to put yourself out in a very vulnerable place and it might not work. And that's probably yeah. separates you from a lot of people. And I, I have to say, you know, certainly having a background as an artist, I feel so lucky because that's so much of the training I got. Even the people that I find myself drawn to, particularly when I first was getting into this, you know, I think Seth Godin is a good entryway drug if you're an artist entrepreneur, because the, so many things he wrote on, like these really made sense to me. Now, ultimately, I also ultimately had to come to understand KPIs. I had to come to understand finance. I had to come to understand that you have to actually like think about your money a little bit. You can't just like, you know, hope that the, the, if somebody gets back in time for the contract, you know, cause the first couple of years we, you know, we had no idea what we were doing. Now to our credit, like we knew that we didn't know what we were doing. We were like, Holy cow, this is really, we're gonna make $4 million this year. That's a lot of money for a gym. Holy crap. You know, but we like knew we didn't know what we were doing. So I was like waiting for, I was reading enough business books. I was like, I know trouble's coming. I want to get ready as I can for the trouble. And uh, you know, we've had some trouble since then. So now I feel like, okay, good. Now I got some some scars, but to your point, even that, you know, it still feels like compared to like, like my twenties or like acting where you're just constantly auditioning and they're constantly choosing other people or they're like giving your agent kind of snarky feedback, or they're like, they're tired that day and they're annoyed. They don't like your choices. And they're, they're audibly annoyed with you because they're not getting what they want for this thing. And now they can't cast you like, huh, talk about potentially dehumanizing. My wife's the buzz of God lover, but I didn't have the stomach for it, but it definitely makes entrepreneurship feel like way, way easier. Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. VAs for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. 
Man, I mean, you, you just mentioned uh, Seth Godin, not to sideline your conversation, but you mentioned Seth Godin mm-hmm. and made me think yeah. of Purple Cow. You literally have two Purple Cows in your life right now. I mean, you literally have two Purple They're very different. I mean, and yeah. you, I, and um, I, I remember the, the first time, because uh, I remember the first time I saw, what is it, Business for Unicorns? Or Unicorns? Yeah. 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 I saw that. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And it just completely drew me into like, what is this? And, and, um, and then Mark Fisher fitness, the more I kind of learned about it and I kind of, I think I worked with your manager or one of your mm-hmm. operations guys and yeah. it was yeah. really heartfelt, like just open book. Like it's just fun to work with. Like, it's just, it, I just want to tell you bleeds through everything you do, which I think is phenomenal. And, um, and I think it's, I think it's this, it's a different hero story. It's a little different. Because it's, you know, it's things you see in the movies and, and forgive me, but you see, you know, the, the, the kid who was the nothing become the something, but it's a real life scenario. And hey, are you, you said some things, I have a few questions just because I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs on here and they're thinking the same thing as I am. Like you were a little averse to this life of non-poverty because of right. views yeah. and how has that process been for you? Because 4 million in revenue in a gym that's really hard to hit outside of a big box. Gym. Yeah. It's a, that's yeah. a, I'm, I'm dude, it's a freaking big deal with one location. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's funny experience. you know, and in full disclosure, we, you know, we, you, in a normal world, we were like in like, you know, the 3.5 ish. So we didn't oh stand up. And part of that was, yeah, which is still, you know, I usually talk about a million dollar gym is like, Whoa. And then like a $2 million gym is like, Whoa. And then we're over here like, what the F? Um, you know, and there, even that, like, I don't know, man. And as you all know, it's like sometimes it's hard to unpack like what worked well. So it's challenging because people on the outside have theories looking in, but they don't know the whole story. Then we're inside. Well, it's like I'm inside the bottle, so it's pretty hard for me to read the label. But the bring back. I'm sorry. What was the question that you're asking? Oh, you. How how are you? Um, oh, dealing with the money piece of the this? money piece. Do you, is there guilt yeah. or are you like you get it now? Like, you've done a lot of studying, a lot of yeah. reading. Yeah, I think I, I, I do get it now. I think that, you know, again, I think deeply on a lot of these things. I think, you know, without really going down the rabbit hole of it, I think there are ways that capitalism that can be done that are probably inherently problematic. And there are ways that can be done that are a reflection of your adding value to the world and your receiving value. If you look at some things, you know, I would say, you know, my personal perspective, which maybe some people disagree. If you look at things, for instance, like financial instruments are, I understand like a banker would disagree. They're like, no, no, we are adding value. I don't know necessarily that I'm seeing like the, 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 the value exchange there is actually reflective of anything other than math magic. And that's of course, one of the challenges. And that's, I think the, the core, the challenge we have in society and in business is you want to get the incentives right. It's the most important thing. It's so hard to do, but I think overall, like the, I, the general idea of it, even though I understand and practice why a younger market issues with it, why I still have some issues with it. And a lot of people have global issues with it. If you, if we're doing it right, ideally we're, you're only getting that in exchange for value. Now I will share that there has been definitely still a number of times having done that work and felt pretty comfortable with it, where the, the concept of the thermometer feels very correct to me, where you bump above a certain point and it's like confronting, you don't want to do. And like, 
you're happy, but you kind of want to cry. And you're sort of like not sure how what's going on, right? If you have like a, a really big month that really pushes you. Um, and again, this is a, you know, I, I, re I really hope as listeners take this with the, because I don't want this to sound at all like, oh, this guy's complaining. It's like, oh, I don't have to do this. <laughs> like that's, that's not it, by the way, in the grand scheme of life, like I'm aware I'm, I'm a small fish. But to, to answer your question, because I know a lot of people do struggle with this, you know, I would say where, where I've kind of come around to this and sort of the framework with I'm okay with it is I actually invite a certain amount of continued introspection about this. I want to remain curious about this. I want to remain introspective about my own motivations. I want to be present to the tyranny of the quantifiable, which is to say, because I have become such a numbers person and I'm tracking all of those things that if I'm not conscious, I, I do think it can start pulling me in ways that I don't want to show up because it seems to me there's the art and science of most things. And I think you, you do need the numbers. And when I was younger, I think I was overly focused on the values and the art and the human and, and all that stuff matters, right? But I don't think the answer is, I, I wouldn't say the answer is to pull back on your humanness and your art and your values. It's to push up your understanding of the numbers so that they're equal. Because the metaphor that I'm sure you've heard and perhaps listeners have, but is, I think is always valid to go back to is you, you, it's just the, it's the a priori condition of doing this. You have to make the money. Otherwise you're not breathing. You're not eating food. Uh, and I am not about people embracing some misguided you know, inherently individual sense of what poverty is because it's not helpful and you can't help other people, right? And so I guess that I'll, I'll pull up there about that, but it is something that I've definitely had to do work on. I feel like most of them I'm in a pretty good place about. And, you know, I want to continue to engage in that conversation because I think it is important because you can't extract that conversation from one's fundamental beliefs about what obligations we have with ourselves and our society uh, I also want to stand for a world where we can have the diverse, vigorous debates and opinions about that and try to get to good places about that. I know that's not always the thing that's happening in the world right now, which I understand, but I want to be somebody that, uh, you know, another core value I have that I'm just like committed to is this concept of unconditional positive regard and ability of a desire to, to, to try to genuinely see where others are coming from if they disagree with me, because it's not that I don't have informed or passionate opinions about stuff, but, um, you know, I, I, because of my I wouldn't say training because of my reading interest. I'm most interested also in questioning myself, my own biases, my own fundamental beliefs. And of course, the beliefs that are so fundamental that I can't even see them, right? These sort of implicit frames that are so a part of who I am and potentially can, you know, if I'm not constantly working to break those beliefs and become aware of that could get in the way of me expressing who I am in a way that's complete and ideally serving the world with the biggest positive possible impact I can. So when I die, I know that, wow, I left that all in the field. Yep. Sports metaphor for you. <laughs> Sports ball. Yeah, you did it. Uh, yeah, well, stuff, Scott, look at this guy. It's, it's all, and it, this is going to sound so, I don't know how to, what, what word, but early in the business for me, Motivation for making money is, is one really su supporting my family and, yeah. and, and, but there is this dream that never stops. And I think this is where, where we start to delineate for me, it has not stopped that making more money means bigger impact with, it's just simple to say yes to things that make a difference in people's lives. Like, right. And I'm not trying to be higher than anybody else or anything, yeah. but there's yeah. this 
place where all of a sudden your business is making so much money and you're being told you need to give and you need to give for tax reasons. And that's, I think it gets all perverted. It gets super perverted at that point. And it's like, no, I'm not giving to receive. I know it's massively important, but this is heart. And then, and then that is so hard to pull apart. There's certain place in this financial um, journey where you're like, well, yeah, I got to give another, you know, like, like I got to get another hundred thousand dollars this year so that I don't lose money. But that's such a wonderful yeah. thing to be able to do is give a hundred thousand dollars. But then people are like, well, you only doing it to save money. It's like, Oh my gosh, I want to pull my hair out. And I don't have hair left to pull out. Yeah. Um, but it, it all gets, it's also complicated. Right. And, and this kind of conversation for me seems to be like, I am, I don't, I think it's very difficult to, even if one, so one of, I think my personal maxims is that we're all moral philosophers right? You might be cognizant of not, but every decision you are making, every decisions every day, they're impacting the world around you, your family, your society, et cetera. And I think it's very valuable to spend some time thinking about that. I don't know that everybody wants to be a full-time amateur philosopher. Like I, I clearly enjoy this. I spent a lot of time thinking about it, but yeah, it's hard to unpack all these things. Like the other day I heard something that I found very provocative, like, oh, that's interesting. It was, I think it was Dan Sullivan who runs strategic coach was saying something it was at first very provocative. I was like, that's, that's very interesting. Where he's like, he was like, I, I don't want to incorrectly paraphrase it. It was something like, I don't believe in giving back. Like, why are you giving back? It sounds like you're giving out of obligation. You're giving as you owe something. Oh. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting thing. And I don't, I don't know, Frank, I need to think on it more. I don't know that I'm totally sold on hundred percent, but I was like, I think there's something there maybe even about, you know, why are you, you, you know, there might be something there about like, are you giving? Cause like, you're like, I feel bad. So I'm giving, I'm giving, cause I'm, I have to, or I'm a crappy person. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, considering your relative advantages to other people shouldn't be a part of the equation, but I do think how we do everything is, is how we do any, or how we do anything is how we do everything. Absolutely. Right. There's something about the energy of it that, uh, I would think that we all agree that can be more or less helpful. And I think, um, because you also don't, and I, I really want to, I must say, I'm feeling, this is like classic marketing, very vulnerable with this conversation because I don't, these listeners don't know me. I don't know if they know. I hope this doesn't sound like we're over here being like, oh, it's so hard. We don't have to do, we make money. <laughs> you know, because that's, that's I, I hope it's, that's not the way I think of it. I'm very aware how um, fortunate I am. And, you know, I just appreciate having the opportunity to think about these things. And I'm committed to keeping introspective about that and staying, living the questions, as we say in artist land. I'm going to keep living the questions. Yeah. Questioning is so incredibly important. I think it keeps us on our toes. It really reveals what our motivations and desires and actions, why they take the form that they take. Uh, uh, Yeah. I'm sorry I took you down that road, but I mean, you made this statement and then we got this opposite end and I'm like, you got to explore that. And I think it's really important. Entrepreneurs, I think in general, want to make a lot of money, but they, there's a lot of, there's a lot of times they don't go through the thought process of what, what happens when. Huh. And it's really important. Yeah. And then another thing you said that uh, I just want to lift you up on, this isn't, you know, a lift up Mark Fisher thing, but it, it, <laughs> it's a very important point that I think we need to talk about in today's world is that difficult conversations, when we really dive into pe- to conversations with people who have differing opinions, opinions than us, yeah. like real true eyeball to eyeball conversations, that's how the world changes for the better. It is, and listening to understand and then questioning yourself is so incredibly mm. important because we all come with biases. There's just no yeah. way around it. And yeah. I think, you know, um, 
That's why I love podcasting. You, you, you have these real conversations and, and um, they don't get misconstrued because they were said in words on behind a keyboard, which is really one of the biggest problems we have right now. It really is. And it's, it's, it's a tough one. And I, I'll, I won't go into great detail about this because another one I've thought a lot about too, right? And it's, it's no secret to anybody that follows me. I'm virtually not on social media. And I think, I, I don't think I'm like without a certain amount of personal dynamics. I think if I want to go that route, that could be a valuable thing for me. But part of it is uh, admittedly that, you know, part of it I think is aesthetic. I'm just not drawn to that particular form of self-expression, which some people are amazing at. One of our coaches, Business Unicorns, has mastered the pithy training gym business tweet. Mm-hmm. mastered. I really look up to it. I think it's really beautiful. I have no interest in it for me personally, because I just, I require more nuance. I, I, you know, I've, there's a, and certainly that's not to be, to be clear. I think what he does is amazing. And I think it's a fair criticism of me to say, I have a limitation around that, but it's also to some extent at this point, you know, I'm old enough. It's, it's intentional, right? It's like, well, this is the, the type of conversation, the, the depth of nuance that I'm most interested in exploring, which isn't the correct thing for all people at all times for all topics. But yeah, that's why I, I agree with you. I tend to prefer conversation more than, yeah. uh, you know, Instagram, I, I find frankly insufferable, right? Frankly, I find it mostly like just a lot of sanctimonious shit and a lot of dear friends, people I love and they're super smart and I don't think it's wrong. And also that's where I have to check and be like, all right, well, I'm the one that doesn't get this. Like everybody else loves this. Like I am the one that's like weird here. Well, I don't so get I'm it either. I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I understand the business value of it. And I understand, you know, I can, I can, I can intellectually understand where and how there could be value for it. So part of it's just like aesthetics, but yeah, I prefer to write long form emails and blogs and do podcasts and yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's, let's uh, rotate rotate or, or shift rather into uh, a little bit more about some of the, the success quotients. We, we talked about like the differentiation and you followed, I mean, obviously you probably speak a lot about following the things that you're really passionate about. And really, I mean, do you, in your mark, in your business for unicorns, do you talk about avatar and do you talk about those like developing your business around a very tight niche or is that something you believe in? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, certainly, you know, Mark Fisher Fitness has such a, you know, it's interesting because the niche in the beginning was so specific to the Broadway community, which I wish I could say was more strategic other than it's like, well, those are all my friends. And the other advantage we had, which is hard to replicate, is I just knew a lot of people because I'd been an actor for a long time. I partied a lot in Hell's Kitchen. I was, you know, one of the seven, you know, straight guys in their twenties doing musical theater at that time. There weren't a lot of us. We all had to go out drinking, had a lot of friends, had a lot of fun. So having said that, did I think that helped? Yes. And then since then, have we really used an avatar? Sure. Is that something we emphasize with our clients? Absolutely. Now the level of, um, you know, how much one niche downs, you know, I think there probably are some considerations around the place that you're in, right? I think market, of course, matters here. Like online niche can get much narrower than a, a geographic constrained brick and mortar training gym. But I think at the very least, taking time to get very clear. And there's different schools of thought on this, right? But uh, for me, I am a fan of the concept of an avatar that's a bullseye. You're, just, you're always thinking about this one archetypal person that in our case, we created one that was something of an uh, amalgamation of several of our dream clients we love, love so much. And then Steve, as we call him, Steve is top of mind for us. And we're thinking through everything from the social media copy to email marketing, to what services we offer. We're always going back to Steve. 
And I think that that is a very valuable exercise for anybody in virtually any business. I think the other thing that I will offer here that is a little bit of interesting nuance, I do think there is a little bit of an art between who you're passionate to serve, how you're passionate to serve them, and what a market actually wants, right? So a nuance here, I often think of this as something of a quadrant model, where if it's only, if you're high integrity, and you only care about what you want and who you want to serve and not necessarily the markets that they're, that's sort of like the, the artist, the, the Steve Jobs, like people don't know what I want till I want them, till, they, till I tell them sort of move. Then you have um, a low integrity version where it's only about the person uh, and I'm, I'm not in this involved. And that's sort of like clickbaity internet marketer, right? Where it's like, well, I don't care. It says thin your thighs and, and tone your tummy. Well, I don't care how that might be contributing to social messaging. That's what gets the most clicks. That's what I'm going to do. The market is decided, right? Then you have, uh, I think, perhaps people on you know, this other end of the spectrum that, that are willing to serve anyone, right? They're willing to serve anyone. And that's also maybe not 100% ideal. And it's coming from a positive place. But they're not now honoring their own interests, their own passion. Because I think it's hard to get great at serving people that you don't burn with love for. Yeah. That's a weird thing. But if you don't burn with love for them, it's hard to be great at taking care of them. So, you know, to be clear, this, I, I'm not saying that one should disregard that. I think that needs to be a meaningful place. And, you know, I, I do think that the constraints of the market are a thing to be considered. So, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I've never heard somebody talk about the constraints of the market, but I think that's a, a really good thing um, to, to <laughs> think about. Uh, you, you, yeah. you don't want to sell, you know, um, uh, let's see, open water swimming when you live in a place where there's no open water. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Kind of and in training situation. gyms, because I know training gym listeners, the, the specific situation I'm talking about here I see a lot is the coach that is desperate to train professional NFL athletes. They want the best combine training ever. And there are no NFL players there. Their high school isn't even really into the athletic. And you have a lot of really wonderful people there that really need your help and want to yeah. do gen pop stuff. And, and I get it. Listen, that's a conversation, right? Like, can you learn to love the, you know, archetypal, you know, housewife that's looking to lose 10 pounds would benefit from you? Maybe. I hope so. I think so. But I think that that is a, is a dialogue that, that needs to happen because that there is probably a tension there, right? Um, Regardless, you're going to need to find the specific avatar and run at it. But, uh, and maybe it's it's possible I am anchored in an unhelpful way to that, just because that is a common thing I'm dealing with with like the gym. It's like serious athletes only, and I'm like, there's no NFL players in your town. Like it's just not going to happen. All these people want your help. They're desperate for help. You know. Yeah. But I get it. Like you just love that. But you know, then maybe it's like you got to pack up and you got to go. You know, move to a school where you could be a D1 strength coach if that's your. Yeah. You know, far be it for me to tell someone not to follow their star. I'm not going to give that advice. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about Mark Fisher yourself, like um, things that you feel in your personal practice. This can be a routine. It can be a, a yeah. thing that you've done, a thing you're currently doing, things that you feel in your personal practice that have really moved the needle in you as a business owner. And what other maybe maybe advice for other people about something that you do, you think that they should be doing? Yes, I will give. Two. Uh, the first one is unsurprisingly, I, I am contractually obligated, like all entrepreneurs, to have my American psycho esque morning routine Absolutely. where I have my core self care habits, uh, which I do in a way that is is per 
particularly obsessive, but feels good for me. So I'm not necessarily suggesting everyone needs to do it this way, but I do have my core healthcare habit trackers where I have my 15 things uh, with everything from things as mundane as did you floss today to did you read for 20 minutes? Did you meditate for 20 minutes? Did you take your fish oil? Did you drink your greens? How much sleep did you get? Are we watching coffee intake, watching alcohol intake? So I track all that stuff and I have a very dialed in morning routine. The first like three hours of my day are dialed in. I want to acknowledge I don't have children yet. I look forward to having a delightful little chaos monkey agent that ruins my life, hopefully soon. But for now, while I don't have them, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to it. Uh, the second thing I will offer is more, has to do more with my entrepreneur life and is really a little bit more organizational level is having some sort of some sort of system for codifying your planning of your goal setting and your tracking. So at Mark Fisher Fitness, we run Traction EOS. Oh yeah, which has been, wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. For those not familiar, it's basically a done for you platform of running a business. And the reality is, the thing about it is it can be deceptively obvious looking at it if you're pretty sophisticated because you likely already have values. You probably already have an avatar. You probably already have a lot of SOPs probably already have a dashboard, but that system is so useful for sharpening the saw. And I must confess, I'm ashamed of it. The first time I read it, I was like, I don't really get this. And I was like, fine. Then I read it again two years later. I was like, wait a minute. And then we like tried to roll it out our own, like dumb dumbs. And like, we, we couldn't figure it out. But probably smart people can do that, but we couldn't figure it out. So ultimately we had an implementer come in and it just brings order out of the chaos of your business. Because I think one of the cognitive tolls you can have as an entrepreneur is I always say you have a bunch of unherded goats yep. running amok. And that can both be on the micro. If your workflow processes don't have a system to capture, to do items, to capture ideas, to create order out of the chaos. And then on the macro, when you look at the business's organizational planning, whether you're running EOS or scaling up or 12-week year, there's a, there's a number of different uh, available platforms that allow the organization to come together and 90 days seems to work best. You can maybe do a different pulse if you want to get clear, okay, what are the most important things for the next few months? And then importantly, what are we going to track on a weekly or at least monthly basis to make sure that we are executing the correct inputs? And that we were getting the correct outputs. We're, we're, we're doing the correct behaviors and we're getting the correct results based on the long-term goals we'd like to see. Two things I want to say about that. Um, number one, I feel so great right now because I finally met someone else who has a three-hour morning routine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, you know, Scott, I'm always happy to feed a confirmation bus. Oh my, my God, thank you so much. Because <laughs> I say that to people and they're like, well, what else do you do in your day? Well, well, like, look, you either, you either um, command your day or your day commands you. And that's the way I command my day. I have, I could stop after those three hours and I'm like, I've had an awesome day, <laughs> like literally. So yeah. thank you for that confirmation bias. Um, yeah. The other one is, is traction. We use it in our business. We use it for any idea that comes up for another business. And you, if you follow it, you can't steer wrong and you can't, you don't get off course. There's this one thing about like, oh, the, here's an issue I'm bringing to the table. And it's like, well, that's not something we're going to attack this nine weeks because it's not a rock. And we're talking EO language here. And you put it into long-term and then it comes up the next nine weeks. And the beauty of this whole system is the fact by the time you get to it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we didn't go down that road. Yeah. <laughs> 
it keeps you completely on track. And it also really gives everybody on the team real clarity on what their role is, what they're supposed to be doing. And then there's clarity on whether they're doing it or not. So it relieves the stress of you as a business owner and entrepreneur on, is that person really filling their, their role? Is, are they really mm -hmm. good value to me? And it, it becomes so clear. So I think like, I, I, you know, I think everybody who doesn't have an operating system of some sort, they should definitely go read traction. And if, and if you're like you and me, you're probably going to have to read it twice. And then there's dumbed down versions like in story form that work really good. So mm -hmm. check it out. But I love those pieces of advice. It's really good. All right. So quick plug, we got Mark Fisher fitness for anybody who's in the hell's kitchen, yeah. New York area. And there's definitely an online um, presence there, yeah. but I, um, so check that out. The links will be in the, in the bio and then just like do a little plug for business for unicorns. And then we'll, or yeah, yeah, that's it. And then we'll, yeah. uh, we'll, I'll ask you the last yeah. question that we must know. Yeah, so Business for Unicorns, it is a coaching group, and we specialize specifically in brick and mortar training gym owners. And again, even hyper specifically, almost without exception, we're looking for individuals that have a lease on their own facility that are an owner of the business that work full time and it have at least 30 to 40 clients and at least one employee. Sometimes one or two of those can go away. And I share the reason that's so specific is, again, speaking to my own limitations is I can tell you a lot of good strategies that I think I'm 99% I'm sure are going to be helpful if you're a personal trainer looking to get up to 30 clients, but I don't really know because when I opened up the business, we were already there. So yeah. I don't frankly have, there, there's almost a different set of skills to get you there. If somebody's looking for help uh, with scale of their business, with developing a team, with culture, with really getting the fulfillment customer service piece in line, with putting in systems for marketing and sales, that's the kind of thing that we can help with. And there's two ways that we do that. We have a coaching group called the Unicorn Society, which has many of the things that many of these coaching groups do. We get together four times per year. If you liked a lot, we talk about the EOS, we do that with our clients each quarter. We help facilitate that planning system. They get uh, up to 90 minutes per month of coaching. There's a Facebook group. There is an online learning platform with a number of different courses and modules based on what business function they want more help in. And the last thing I'll say about it that I think a lot of people find valuable about it is it's also an opportunity for us to coach the team. So if somebody signs up with us, if you want, if you're business partners, or if you want us to get on the call and work with your team, if you want us to do meetings for your team and a training, because we all know you're never a profit in your own land. So sometimes you just need somebody else to say the thing, yep. <laughs> or at least that can help. Um, so, and then we do one-off coaching. Uh, so if individuals are interested in one-off stuff, there's information about that. And all that can be found at businessforunicorns.com. It's awesome. Uh, it's awesome. Um, very, very intriguing. I love how you, this is another business tip, like know who you don't want to serve or you can't serve well. And that's been something that we've been going through, like, okay, here's the parameters. And it's, it's hard to tell somebody that when they're on the phone with you and they want your service, but they're going to go away. If you don't, if you don't tell them, they're going to go away. Yeah. And then the worst part is too, like, I'm sure you've seen this too, Scott, of course, because as Madonna said, rejection is the ultimate aphrodisiac. And it's not a rejection, but I've noticed there's almost a one-to-one -one correlation. As soon as I start being like, I don't think this is the right. They're like, no, oh, no, no. Trust me, you're going to keep big things here. And then you're in this tough situation because you're like, well, gosh, I don't, is this person going to make a run for it? Like, I want to help them, you know? So it, it is an interesting dynamic. And again, it speaks truly to, in uh, my assumptions, it's probably similar to you, Scott. It's like, I'm also, I'm just so not afraid, but I'm driven by not letting someone down. 
Absolutely. I want to deliver so bad that I'm so afraid of somebody signing up. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm not, I can't help. I'm not the guy. And frankly, you know, those, the other thing I mentioned, you know, if you're doing like, you want an online business, you want to, you, there's just people that are way better at than I am. And, and, you know, I'm always happy to just direct people to the right resources. Anyway, yep, That's the key. That's the key is having other resources to send them to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mark, uh, last question. If you could go back in time in the time, magic time machine and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, uh, what age am I speaking to myself? You know, pick your age. This is a choose your own adventure. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I, it's so trite, but I think, you know, if I were to go back to talk to myself, maybe at 15, I would love to, and it's hard because this advice is not necessarily tactical per se, but if I could invite myself to have just a little bit more ease and trust and faith that it's all going to work out. And we haven't teetered onto this, although we've gone to a very philosophical place today, but I think, you know, I would make, there is a, a spiritual argument for trusting that's all working out. Young Mark Fisher yeah. is going to be okay. And the very things now that are making you feel sad and alone at times are the things that are going to lead to every beautiful thing you're going to experience and give to this world. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's good. And I, it doesn't have to be tactical. That's the, that's the wonderful yeah. thing about it. It's this, this unreal thing that will never happen. You can't go back. Yeah. 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 But, Wait, I mean, it's not actually happening. Damn it, I <laughs> but it's always like the best advice for other people. Like, you know, wherever you're at in your life, this is something you really should pay attention to. So I really appreciate uh, just a really fun, all over the place conversation. Uh, that's, it was fun. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Scott. Appreciate it. Thank you listeners for hanging in this long with Mark and I, if you are interested in finding out more about him, obviously show notes. Uh, and until next time, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.